Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to episode 106 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Cressa Ferrer. Kayla Marie. Stephanie Walker. Whitney Currier. Shauna Feeney. Emily Catt. Leona Hine. Hope Mary Elizabeth. Margaret Joan McIsaac. Grace Edwards. Megan Lasav Greg. Fats. Emma B. Helene Gifskoff. Ashley Garner. Ali Alvarado. Leah Shannon. Colby's a cheese. <laughs> Tara Gillen. Sarah Hines. John M. Katie Roy. Rona. Phoebe Benj Abbott. Laura. Megan Rattigan. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you every damn day. We surely do. And we've got a birthday this week. Our happy birthday this week goes to Lewis Mullen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Lewis. That comes in from Craig and Michelle, but also more importantly from me and Dan, and even more importantly from Tiny Bim. She's currently waving at you. She's She has a little streamer yeah. and a little party hat. <laughs> it's very it's very fashionable. <laughs> she doesn't look very comfortable, but you know, she put in the effort. <laughs> that's what matters. So happy birthday, Lewis. Happy birthday. And our film review this week. Our film review is His House. His House was released in 2020. It has 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. I know. It is very new though. I think the Rotten Tomatoes uh, rating tends to change with time. A refugee couple makes a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan. But then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town that has an evil lurking beneath the surface. I don't know why, but that synopsis was really hard to read because it had lots of THs and THs and my Irish accent do not go. <laughs> so that was a real that was a real struggle. I didn't notice the struggle, but you were reading it, I guess. So what were your thoughts on this film? I liked it. I liked it a lot. It was different. It was still scary and it was done really well. I think it was just a good all-round film, really. I think it's taken the haunted house genre to a new place. Because we've seen we've seen the haunted house movie where dad doesn't want to leave. We've seen it a bazillion yeah. times. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we get it, and we all go. He doesn't want to leave. He's an idiot. Somebody commented when I put up this that we were doing this film that it's the first haunted house film where they understood why the dad didn't want to leave, and that I thought that was a really good way of surmising the film. Yeah, it's. I found it incredibly sad. Massively, massively so. I think. There was a, a harrowing human aspect to this as well, which was just a little bit more than your average horror. I guess you had the supernatural stuff going on, but then you had the harrowing 
nature of their own existence and struggle that they've gone through without all the paranormal stuff on top of it. And I think they managed them travelling from their war-torn country and travelling across the sea to get to England and then the racism that they faced in England really well because it was subtle. They didn't... It didn't turn into this sort of weird violence and gore porn. It was subtle and it was it was enough to make you... To make your heart really... Mm. <gasps> like stop in your chest and go, oh my God, these people have been through so much. And it's, it's, it's an incredibly clever film because the whole way through, you and I were like, is this PTSD? Or is this actually happening? Because I, I can't quite figure it out. And I, I felt like it was really ambiguous. It just... Yeah, I think left it, you to make your own decisions. It definitely did, but I also I'm also leaning towards the paranormal side as well. I feel like there was something there because it was just too too creepy. It also has one of the most one of the greatest moments in of all time movie history in it. I'm exaggerating. Ooh, better than somebody being stabbed to death with a corn on the cob? It, I mean, is there better than that? I don't know. <laughs> I feel it might be it might I might need to rephrase that. Maybe the best musical movie moment whereby there is the pub sing-along that he joins in with the Peter Crouch song. He's big, he's red, he's scored with his head. Peter Crouch, Peter Crouch. And the guy really gets into it and then he goes home and sings it to his wife. And she's like, that's the worst song I've ever heard. I mean, that's not true. I mean, you can imagine, though, you <laughs> yeah. can imagine these people from South Sudan. Like, they literally, at the very beginning of the film, they, you realise they've lost their daughter on, on their journey and they they literally don't even know what part of England they're in because... Nobody really tells mm. them. And this man ends up in the pub with all these lads, lads, lads watching a football game. And it's so bizarre and he's so out of place. Yeah. But it's it's just a great, it is a very well done moment, I think. And those, the guys in the pub are just giving him like a package, isn't he? Of like, you're one of those refugees. Yeah. Here's a box of stuff. It's a very, I thought it was a very clever film. I thought it was harrowing. It was genuinely scary. Yeah, there were some really horrible, scary moments in it. <laughs> yeah, it, it really did frighten me. And most and... of them done with the child actor as well. Uh, she was brilliant. Mm. Yes, yeah, she was. She was very frightening. In her little movements. Yeah. We, all, we know how much we hate a movement scare. <laughs> yeah, there were, yeah. I, I don't know, there's very little I can say about this film without giving away the story. Um, but I found it very interesting. And you know what? It was refreshing for, for two people who watch a horror film at least once a week. <laughs> it was something new. And it was, it was, I was like, oh, this is good. And the actress performances were incredible. Yes, they were really good. Out of this world. So uh, what would you, what would you give this film out of five? I think five. You don't seem so sure about that. I'm not in that. I think it is, but I can't justify why it would be any less. I just feel like it didn't quite hit home in the way that I wanted it to. So that's a really selfish reason not to give it five stars. So I'm going with five stars. Okay, interesting. I think I'm going to give it five stars. And I think it's for something so new. And it's such a new idea. And it was refreshing. And it was harrowing. And it was interesting and scary. And I really, I really enjoyed watching it. I was really impressed with it. So that's five stars. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Where's that dust coming from? 
Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's EUFY.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best in class all in one robot vacuum for only $799. Which brings us to our story this week. I'm kind of scared about what you're going to do. This story is going to be a wild ride. Okay. I kind of, I've not avoided doing this for, well, I have avoided it because (laughs) I knew it was going to be a wild ride. Okay. And it's going to scare the boogeyman out of me. Scared the boogeyman out of you. That's new. <laughs> so tell me, what do you know about gin? Oh, no. Aside from it being a deliciously refreshing alcoholic drink that subsequently makes me cry oh, and vomit. I wasn't even going there. I knew what you meant. Oh. <laughs> As I understand it, it's like super demons from Islamic culture. Okay, Interesting. No, I would have agreed with you until I did this research. Oh, okay. But it, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this by saying that if I say anything that is wrong, it is not willful ignorance. It is just plain ignorance because I've done my best. And if I pronounce things wrong, I'm sorry. Again, I I googled the pronunciation of everything. I've tried my best. So I'm not. We're just gonna crack straight on with the story. Okay. But you have to brace yourself because this bounces all over the place i've tried to make it as thematic and flowing as possible but there's a whole world of stuff to unpack so you need to get yourself ready it is hard to find a singular definition of the jinn perhaps it is due to a cultural inability to understand their complexity or perhaps their definition becomes lost in translation Probably the best-known djinn that people would have experienced is actually the genie from Disney's Aladdin. Is it a simplified, Disney-fied version? Absolutely. But the inspiration for the genie, and even the word genie, comes from pre-Islamic Arabia. The djinn are shape-shifting entities that have held space in Arab culture for as long as Arab culture has existed. They are neither inherently good, nor inherently bad. They are beings with choice and free will. They are not angels and they are not demons. They are amorphous beings, shapeshifters, able to take the shape of animals or humans and they seem to have a dual dimensional existence. They are active both in the human realm, but also in their own realm. In ancient times, jinn were believed by some to speak through poets and artists and they feature frequently in the Quran. They exist in folklore and old wives' tales and in the moral warning tales passed from generation to generation. Probably the most interesting thing about jinn is their ambiguity. Like humans, they eat, they sleep, they have sex, they procreate, they die, but they just aren't human. They seem to be wholly unquantifiable. And some scholars argue that this has caused them to be delegitimized in religious studies. They don't quite fit our linear understanding of good and evil, and they exist in a grey area where the boundaries are blurred, and each genie, which is the singular of jinn, can make their own decision about right and wrong. So we're going to pause there briefly, because I saw your little face when I mentioned Aladdin. 
So what what do you think of gin so far? My mind is blown, to be honest with you. My mind was blown doing this research. Now that you've said it, though, I'm kind of giving myself a bit of a slap on the face moment because it's kind of obvious. It is obvious when you know, though. But when you don't know, it's not obvious. But the... Yeah, you're right. Maybe the link to the gin, but I hadn't really put the genie into a cultural context because I think we're so used to having it as a as a fairy story. Yeah, we don't tend to think of actually this isn't a Hans Christian Andersen or Brothers Grimm fairy tale that comes from Northern Europe. This is derivative of Alibaba and all that stuff, which comes from Middle Eastern cultures, folk, culture yeah. and folklore, which is bad on my behalf. But I've never really thought about it like that. Apparently, the actual story of the genie and Aladdin and the story of Aladdin comes from an like a really ancient story of a fisherman who finds a lamp, and in that lamp is a gin, or not a gin, because I need to stop saying that gin is the collective term and genie is the singular. And he, the he releases the genie, and it is really cross, and it, the genie is really cross after being trapped, and he's going to kill him. And then the him and the fisherman end up having a conversation about the fisherman's life and how everything was actually kind of accidental. And instead, the genie grants him wishes, and he ends up with loads of treasures and blah blah blah. blah. So it is really it comes from an ancient folkloric story, which I, I just blew my mind. I mean, the question I've got now is: with that knowledge, does that mean we've misunderstood the Christ- Christine Aguilera song? And actually, there's way more layers to that than we've ever thought about. Oh my God, is Christina Aguilera actually... Because you said about them having sex and stuff, so yeah, maybe she was singing sex, about... They eat, they sleep, they procreate. I'm pretty sure Christina Aguilera has kids now. I'm pretty sure that we've just established that Christina Aguilera is actually some sort of entity and not a real person. Maybe. That wasn't quite where I was going with it, but yeah. Oh, well, this is what, <laughs> this is what I picked up from it. <laughs> To be honest, I kind of feel like we could we should end the episode there. Christina Aguilera <laughs> is a genie yeah. and of the gin kind, not the Aladdin kind that dances around Fair. and makes song. We should just also do that though. Well, this is very confusing. Mm. So I'm going to continue. Of course, it would be ridiculous to believe that 1.6 billion Muslims wholeheartedly believe in the existence and the influence of jinn. Religious texts are read, interpreted and adapted to move with the modern world. But for those who view the jinn as pre-Islamic folklore, there are many who have had real-life experiences with them. In a recent survey, 80% of Muslims that were interviewed believed that jinn were real. Our first encounter with the jinn takes place aptly in the world's largest cemetery, Wadi Us-Salam, the Valley of Peace, is a recognised World Heritage Site and has been actively used for burials for 1,400 years. It is located 150 kilometres south of Baghdad in Iraq. The gravediggers who work in this city of the dead have been working alongside something unnatural and not the type of paranormal entity that we normally associate with graveyards. This is no spectral image of a woman in white or the ghostly wailing of a person long gone. This is a ghoul, a type of jinn that has succumbed to the dark side and feeds on the living and the dead and is most often associated with graveyards. The turnover rate of grave diggers is huge as people are unable to cope with their paranormal experiences there. 
there have been reports of gravediggers being viciously attacked by huge shadowy figures and actually left injured. One man reported that as he was preparing a corpse for burial, her hand physically slapped him hard in the face and left him reeling. He required subsequent psychiatric treatment, but ultimately returned to his position as a gravedigger, as it is considered a generational job role. Another old gravedigger, Hani Abu Ghanaim, spoke of the physicality of the ghoul, describing it as a shape-shifting creature, long and slender-limbed, that leaped from grave to grave, feeding on the dead. Sometimes it would resemble a large cat, and sometimes a woman. There's a lot of questions about the validity of these accounts. There is inevitably a certain atmosphere that comes with working in the world's largest graveyard, and as the jobs are generational passed down from father to son, so too are the stories. Stories of the ghoul have been passed down, which leave the new generations of workers primed to witness bizarre phenomenon and immediately validate tales of the ghoul. However, in my research of the jinn, I found stories that were strangely similar, and many were from people who had no prior knowledge or experience with the jinn. In his book Phantoms and Monsters, Strange Encounters, Lon Strickler told an interesting tale of a man who was stationed in Iraq and Afghanistan between 2004 and 2009. The man's role was to work with US intelligence to investigate crime among military personnel. He detailed one particular case in which he was investigating mysterious and violent occurrences in a remote mountainous region of northeast Iraq. It was a strange post to say the least. He was to investigate claims from a village in the remote mountain region that a ghoul had been violently attacking their people. He listened to tales of a disproportionately long-limbed creature moving swiftly and deftly through the forest and decided that there was only one reasonable explanation. He was dealing with a serial killer. Perhaps a soldier who had gone AWOL, snapped at the horrors of warfare and was now engaged in a killing spree. He reasoned that this was the case and that locals had applied their own lore to the attacks. It was in his mind a strange case, but one with a fairly reasonable explanation. After listening to the fears of the villagers, he agreed to sweep the area searching for signs of this supposed ghoul and set up a 24-hour surveillance of the area. He found nothing, and saw nothing, and as the days limped by in a haze of silence, he decided that what he was dealing with was actually a case of mass hysteria. He spoke to the villagers, but they were adamant. People were dead. People were injured. This was not imagined, and they were refusing to leave their houses, even at daytime. The village itself seemed to hold its breath as everything froze in fear of this mysterious beast. He agreed to stay on. One evening he was stationed at his post in his hut, going over some paperwork, when he was interrupted by a squad leader bursting through the door looking pale and panicked. The squad leader breathlessly relayed that he had been on sweeping duty when he and his team had heard something. It was a shriek, a howl that reverberated through the forest 
and made everything in the forest fall silent. They went towards the noise and were met by villagers running in the other direction. They wouldn't stop and told the soldiers to flee because it was coming. The ghoul was coming. The soldiers still didn't really believe that there was a supernatural being prowling the forest, so they decided to mobilise a unit to search the area, believing that if they would find anything, it would be a soldier. The team trekked towards where they heard the noise. It had come from a nearby mountain pass. The forest fell silent, and the scream began again. Many of the soldiers had been stationed in and around these forests for a long time, and they had never heard a sound like this. The villagers had never heard a sound like this, not from a human and not from an animal. It was a long, hollow, blood-curdling screech that seemed to suck the sound from the air around them. Even with all of their military experience, the men began to grow afraid of what they would find in the darkness. Now, I wish there was a neat end to this story, but there isn't. There was nothing that they could find that accounted for the sounds that they heard and continued to hear. There were no tracks and no disturbances in the forest that explained the noises. There was no sign of any human. The witness had never heard a sound like it, and he's never heard one since. But suddenly for him, the idea of a creature in the forest didn't seem so outlandish. Another similar story emerged from Karachi in Pakistan in 2005, where, like the workers in the graveyard, a security guard working for a family claimed to witness a strange shape-shifting entity. The family reported that Sometime past midnight, he was sitting in his chair when we were woken up by his screaming as he jumped over the gates of one house and entered in shock. Mind you, this was a man armed with a repeater, a weapon with 12 rounds, automatic pumping action, something similar to Arnold's weapon in T2 while riding his bike. Upon inquiring, he kept on repeating the same story for one hour. He said that in an empty area between two houses, he first saw a rabbit hopping right opposite to where he was seated. In an instant, the rabbit transformed into a cat while moving towards him as this was happening. He tried to dispel the event as an illusion. However, he was soon terribly shaken as the cat had now started taking the shape of a woman. He clearly described the transformation and at the point where he saw the half-woman entity, he got so scared that he started screaming and his legs, which were jammed, were able to find the strength to jump into action over the six-foot gate into our neighbour's house. As far as I remember, he left his gun outside and we had to gather it later. Our neighbourhood remained in a state of shock and fear for quite some time after this event. The guard had been with us for nearly a year and after this, he was never the same guy again. Soon after, he swapped his duty roster with another guard. That first-hand report from the family has similarities of shape-shifting, long-limbed creatures that stalk the night, and many more reports of creatures such as this can be found. But the jinn take on many forms. Some even attribute accounts of ape-like creatures, vampires and aliens, to the jinn taking on different forms. 
they can be responsible for poltergeist activity, for possession cases, and can take the form of a beautiful woman ready to lure you to your death. A Reddit user relayed this account. One story my cousin told me was about his friend's uncle, who was driving from work one night, and this lady showed up on the side of the road crying and wailing and asking to be dropped back home. The guy was obviously freaked and said no, but the woman insisted, claiming her husband would get really mad and her daughters were alone at home. So eventually he said yes. As soon as the woman was in the car, she started wailing and crying in a very quiet voice that sounded like something from a horror film. She told him to drop her at her house near a river two hours' drive away. He couldn't, so he instead decided to take her to a police station. After 15 minutes, the woman stopped crying abruptly and the driver looked from the front mirror and saw that she had really really long, sharp, pointed nails, almost like talons. He started getting really scared and thought of nothing other to do than to recite verses from the Quran in a whisper. Hearing him, the woman started smiling and giggling. And as he raised his voice and prayed louder, she became quiet. After a minute, she told him to stop the car and drop her there. When she was getting out of the car, she told him that the only thing that saved him was him knowing the Quran, and if he didn't, he would have been dead by now. This is one of many stories of a beautiful woman who has something just a little bit off about her. The jinn can look like normal people, but their eyes are slightly off, or their gait is a little bit strange. A soldier stationed in Iraq described a seemingly insignificant but unshakable event that happened to him while he was on duty. He said, Myself and two other guys from my squad were sitting on the balcony of the second floor of the station, pulling security on our shift. It was some time in the night. If I had to guess, I would say it was around 2.30am. While on guard, we would use the lights on our rifles to illuminate any car that drove by so that we could see if there was any sort of weapons in the vehicle and stuff like that. We heard a car driving towards us from one side of the road, so we got ready with our lights to illuminate the car when it came into view. Once we saw the car, we shone our lights into the vehicle, directing the light towards the driver. The driver had a typical reaction to the surefire light, which is blindingly intense. He squinted his eyes and attempted to look away. The passenger had a much different reaction. His eyes seemed to glow with intensity by the light. He stared right back at the light, almost looking through it and at us. It was very eerie. At the time, the best we could describe his eyes were that of a cat in the dark, with a flashlight shone in its face. I have never heard of a person's eyes being able to reflect light like that before. And I've never seen anything that you could purchase to be able to do such things. Sometimes jinn take an altogether different form. Because sometimes they take the form of fire. Just like the people of Bala in Oman have experienced. Bala is a sleepy town in Oman that is flanked on one side by huge mountains 
and on the other side by a vast expanse of desert. Muhammad al-Hinai is a religious man who lives in a simple white cement house overlooking the desert. It was a chillingly cold night in the Oman desert when he saw it. A fire. Fire is not altogether unusual in the scorching daylight sunshine, but in the cold night it was not normal to see a fire burning in the vast expanse of the wasteland. Al-Hinai watched as the fire seemed to glow a curious green colour and hover above the ground. It was then that he realised that the fire was accompanied by a noise, a raspy, cackling laugh that chilled him more than the night air. Perched atop a tree overlooking his property was a woman. She was spindly and old and dishevelled and cackled into the night. He knew that the fire and the woman were connected and he knew that it was the jinn of the desert. At once the woman and the fire abruptly vanished and al story is simply another added to a litany of tales of the jinn plaguing that area. A family nearby began to hear moans and howls around their house at night time and no amount of investigation ever yielded any explanation and each night piles of stones and mounds of sand would be strangely and impossibly piled up on top of one another outside their infant son's room. Farmers tell stories of disembodied female voices that call out their names at night time over the desert and to follow them would lead to being lost in the desert and ultimately death. The people of Bala believe that the jinn prowl the desert that surrounds their land because of the deeds and actions of the people who once lived in the ancient city. Thousands of years ago, Bala was a strategic centre of power, which in turn attracted a lot of powerful people to live there. And the ultimate display of power for some people was to be able to control the jinn. The jinn were summoned, and they never left and the townspeople today are left to suffer the consequences. Whatever you think about the jinn and their many forms, there is no denying that the experiences, activities and forms that the jinn take are reflective of the folklore of many other countries. But what is perhaps different is that the jinn play a striking role in everyday life in some areas and some countries to this day. In 2009 in Saudi Arabia, a family took a genie to court in an attempt to sue it for disrupting their lives. In 2018, two men were arrested for selling lamps supposed to contain a genie and scamming people out of tens of thousands in the process. And currently in Malaysia, there is a company that will pop the genie that's plaguing you into a lamp for a tidy sum. There are lots of humorous stories and moralistic tales that come from jinn encounters, but there are also lots of dark stories too. And if the extent of the power that jinn hold is to be believed, then maybe we should be taking them seriously. They should be taken seriously. They're really scary. Do you know what's really scary about what's the most scary thing about them? Is there's not like a uniform they're not all bad, they're not all good. They have a choice. They're pretty much humans, but they're not humans. Yeah, and, and, and from what I, I watched, like, videos and stuff about Jin, and they're not ghosts, and they're not humans that have passed on. That's really important. Yeah. 
So they are a whole other entity all to themselves and they were created with free will and they make decisions and they either fuck you up or they don't fuck you up. And they could just change their mind halfway through as well. Absolutely. So if they're being nice to you and then you do something to annoy them, they can just be evil. And yeah, then they're... if they're being evil to you and then suddenly they take a shine to you, they could just be nice. And they're tricksters and like, it's just wild. Yeah. It's always a little bit scary when you hear, like we've said before, when you hear like soldiers reporting them. <laughs> yeah, I found that really interesting because there were... A million and one stories on various forums about people's interactions with gin and there was one that really made me laugh where this like little old woman literally fought a gin out of her bedroom one night because she was just fucking sick of it she nice like, I like that I've, had, I've had enough of this <laughs> fuck off get out and there are stories of families who've had gin that visit them regularly and like really weird stuff but it's the stories of people who aren't immersed in that culture that i was really interested in because they transcend something when it's when it's people that are that aren't primed to believe those stories and then suddenly they're they're going oh my god what the fuck did yeah. i just see or what the fuck did i just happened or are these people being hunted in the middle of the woods by a big limmy thing a big what thing limmy <laughs> limmy thing a big limmy thing so is it a big lemmy thing it's <laughs> in the guy from motorhead i was like i don't remember any reference to him in it um yeah i mean Particularly that first story about the guy that was in Iraq, Afghanistan, investigating different crimes. And then he, like, came up with one non-supernatural reason. And then when that wasn't true, he came up with another non-supernatural reason, was determined to say it was something else. And then his own soldiers came back and were like, mm, yeah. Something's not right here. <laughs> yeah, we can't. This isn't as simple as it seems. And they, even the soldiers were like, well, you know, they weren't put off by the, the people going the gin's coming, you've got to go. They were like, no, we're going to investigate. And they went a bit deeper in and then it was like, okay, maybe we should have listened. Yeah, okay, I don't like this. Mm. This is a lot. And it is, you know, we regularly have stories about limmy things. I'm, that's, 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 you know, that TM, <laughs> trademarking that one. New paranormal entity, a limmy thing. But we regularly have stories like that where, and I find them the most disturbing for whatever reason those long limbed things yeah. that kind of stalk through the night and whatever that that image of a limmy creature jumping from grave to grave fucking disturbed me as well yeah and very how, strange they all seem to take on some kind of cat-like form at some point <laughs> well i mean cats have a long history of of cultural significance in different cultures all over the world That's you true. know and and they're seen to be kind of vaguely in touch with the other world which i mm-hmm. which i believe they are yeah I mean, I've I have a cat. In case anybody was unaware, <laughs> just to let people know. Or if you did think it was our child. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I um, there was a I can't remember your Twitter username, but there was a, a a person on Twitter who tweeted me and was like, "Oh my god, Tiny Bims is a cat." <laughs> Thought it was your fucking child all this time. No, she's a cat, and also she is a genie. We've established. The story in Karachi with the security guard was very tricksterish. I thought in that it changed shape. So it was a rabbit, really harmless, that was hopping towards him, that changed shape into a cat, that changed shape into a woman, Mm. just to prove a point. And then that was it. There seemed to be a lot of um, those shape-shifting stories, and particularly stories centred around women, and creatures changed into women, or women crying at the side of the road, that sort of thing, which is not unique. Mm. You know, they, they happen pretty much everywhere. The idea is about women crying on the side of the road and then you pick them up and then 
they they either i don't know whatever happens you drop them home they've drowned in a something already i don't know where i'm going with this but i'm still going so i, I don't know whether it's an element of perceived vulnerability perhaps which is why these things take on form of women oh so interesting if, if you just saw a big old six foot five 250 pound brake crime by the side of the road probably wouldn't pick them up and stop would you no probably not <laughs> particularly if they were wearing a jason mask <laughs> yeah probably not if they're wearing a jason mask i mean i'd probably give them a wave just be a bit nice to them just in case you never know you never know when being nice to somebody might keep you alive so i feel like that's got a bit of that in it i'm also you know this this predates religion to a point right that's what you yeah. said and so again it's like we're going back into that first people interpretation of stuff we don't understand and actually maybe maybe this is the the arabic world's interpretation of skinwalkers oh well that i was wondering how long was going to take for you to mention skinwalkers <laughs> that's disturbing but just seem to keep coming back around to it but it's very similar isn't it like that i mean what we've read so far about skinwalkers is they always almost always seem bad news so there's that difference in that actually mm. these gins sometimes they decide to be nice uh, and they can do all the things and and there's not really a lot about skinwalkers taking on like human characteristics in terms of eating normally and just living their life i think that's such an interesting facet of this that mm. they they live a completely normal life yeah but outside of our realm yeah and there was lots of people on forums that said you know you will never know a gin the true the true shape of gin because we can't see it that they, they they're only their true shape in another realm where if, they're living normally. But if they procreate, does that mean we've got like half gene, half human Apparently, babies? Apparently, yeah. Ooh. There were stories in forums about babies who were like born to a gene and a mother and, you know, and they then they had to be exercised. But I left out possession stories because I'm not interested oh, in I was, those. I was hoping you were going to say then they, you know, they they were born and then like the mother went in to see it in the crib and it was a cat. Or it was really limmy. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, w- would I be disappointed if I gave birth to a cat? Probably not. No. You, would, you not, wouldn't be exercising it, would you? No, be like, I'd no. be like, yes. <laughs> just what I always wanted. You'd be so disappointed when it transformed back into a baby. I would. I'd be like, can you be, can you be a cat again? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Well, this is awkward. And then the gin are like, oh, this is, this is not how I expected her to react. What do we do? Oh, this is, this is new. Mm. <laughs> She's not freaking out. The fire gin was interesting, right? Yeah. Because that's, again, that's the difference between Skinwalker Law. I've not heard of them being described. I'm, I'm, and again, it's ignorance. It's not me just being... Night, well, no, I guess it is. It's just me not understanding it. It's not me saying it as fact. But I've not heard of any Skinwalker stories where they are linked with fire necessarily. In fact, it seems to be the opposite, doesn't it? It seems to be like fire... Like there was that one that did a ritual in the fire to keep them out, right? Yeah, I can't really... We've done so much Skinwalker stuff or I've looked at so much Skinwalker stuff that I can't really remember what's what anymore. i kind of leaning towards... Like, I'm I'm on board with these being real. Like, I just don't understand. To me, in my very naive way, it seems like gin is a catch-all phrase for, like, paranormal happenings. And why the hell not? You I kind know? of prefer like, that in a way. Because it, it's... And it seems to be that it's both something that people really recognize and also something that they use as moralistic tales. Like there's there in some stories, there was like a, a La Llorona edge where it was like, don't go near the water or gin will get you and drag you in when you're kids, you know, or don't go out late at night or gin will get you. 
and not and, and again I need to reiterate not the good kind you know that makes you cry <laughs> and vomit and all of those things um so it's interesting that it it, it has this twofold meaning in society that it's moralistic and 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 you know tells warning stories mm. to kids and all that but also there are serious consequences to messing with gin so is it that in this culture that if you see someone that's passed on because there's no such thing as ghosts mm. the presumption is that it's a gin yeah up to no good because it's trying to yeah up to no good you. generally and and they they can take the form of humans um very easily but like like the stories suggest there's something a little bit off about them you know that there's something that you can't quite put your finger on whether it's an eye glare or whatever um but they, they're just not ghosts it's not it's not your loved one coming back to you or whatever but part of me wonders whether if they've got the choice to do good and bad then maybe if they're posing as loved ones that passed on then maybe sometimes it is done with good intentions maybe you just needed a bit of closure maybe and so they saw that and did it as a good thing and then other times they're doing it as a bad thing to try and lure you somewhere or get yeah. you to do something or yeah it's a very complex story it's a very complex entity that was really hard to get my head around, mm. I have to say, because it was a lot of, they're this and they're that, and they're not this and they're not that. But... And they're everything and nothing. But at the same time, they're not black and white, but it is the most black and white thing in the world because it's either human or it's gin. There's no middle ground. There's nothing else, is there? If nothing else exists, it's all gin. That yeah. actually makes it very easy to explain. And I did find it interesting that there was lots of, like, if you see Bigfoot, it's... A genie taken on that form and there i would highly recommend so i'm going to leave about a bazillion links in the description of this I mean, episode obviously we know that's wrong because bigfoot is real uh, well that's i'm not saying bigfoot isn't real i'm just saying bigfoot might be gin in disguise um but there's about a million links in this in the description of this episode and i would highly recommend that if you're interested to genuinely go and read them because there's so many wild stories in those links like crazy stories about people like fighting giants i can't even i couldn't even get into it in this in this episode because we'd be here all day but if it's from now on i think remember there was a time when we thought everything was infrasound yes now everything is just going to be gin yeah everything (laughs) every story that's sent in would be like gin and that's a gin oh you saw your nana at night time after she had died that's a gin that's what's going to happen can i just segue ever so slightly you can of course don't think i'd want to work in a as a grave digger anyway because i feel like it'd be kind of creepy Mm. but i guess most of the time they dig graves during the day right yes that's less scary but then if you've got something running around jumping around from grave to grave eating the dead more scary there's a lot of black market grave goings on in that graveyard all right yeah so when i was reading about it they they said that because it's a Somebody really important in Islam is buried in that graveyard. So lots of people want to be buried there, which is why it's so popular and so huge and continues to grow. So families resell their own grave plots on the black market to people. But obviously then it has to be kind of like a a, a secret burial. So the grave diggers, I believe, kind of... Probably are working at night. They are working at oh, night as no, security guards, essentially, as well. Yeah. And the whole outside of the graveyard is covered in talismans to try and stop the jinn that live in the graveyard from getting out, which is quite disturbing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. You didn't left that out. Yeah. 
Why did you leave that out? Well, it was only a little aside that was in the thing no, I was No, that makes about. it scarier. Yeah, there's a whole, like, I mean, handfuls. Like, it's like the whole place is surrounded by stones, but they're actually talismans. So some of it is like, um, some of it is stones that are like carved out and other bits of it is like rings or jewels or, and it, they're all left there to keep the gin in. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah. Thanks for that. No worries. So if you enjoyed this week's episode... You can find us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send in your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And as I said earlier, if I said something in this episode that was accidentally culturally insensitive or just plain wrong, please feel free to let us know um, and just know that it was... It was not willful ignorance. It's just plain ignorance. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.